Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to The Body Protest. In this podcast, we combine storytelling with science to better understand how we think, feel and relate to our bodies. I'm Nadia Craddock and I'm a body image researcher. And I'm Honey Ross, writer and activist. This podcast is brought to you by The Pink Protest. Hi, Honey. How are you doing? Hi, Nadia. I mean, <laughs> how's anyone doing in this crazy, <laughs> these crazy couple of weeks? I mean... <clears throat> I have gone slightly mad. I've started washing my hair with apple cider vinegar. So, you know, it's all popping off on my end. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wait. I mean, apple cider vinegar on your hair. I've not heard that hat. Oh, my God. An apple cider vinegar rinse will change your life. Sorry, this is now I sound like a snake oil salesman. (laughs) But it's like... I was like literally last night like in the dead of night brewing like rosemary letting it steep and then you dilute apple cider vinegar and it basically apparently really helps the pH balance of your scalp Uh, apparently helps the cuticle lie flat so your hair looks shinier and I've used it a couple of times now and I'm a big fan I must say sorry this is completely not how I expected this to go but I'm really I'm happy to bring something new to the table (laughs) So that's how I've been. I've become a proper woodland witch and I'm just mixing kind of old remedies together in my kitchen. Um, How have you been? Fantastic. Um, I'm okay, I think, you know, hanging on in there as I think we all are. It's weird. It's like trying to normalise saying that you're not okay without being like the biggest downer in the room. But just this has been a hard few weeks. It's been, I think, a new low of 2020. So, you know, we just need to like grip on, keep going. And um, I know we've spoken about this before, but there's this TikTok video that I'm obsessed with and I've literally watched it every day for the last couple of weeks and just love it so much. It's by a girl called Tiga. Her TikTok handle is Tiga Reacts. I love it and she's given us permission to share the audio on the podcast. So let's do that now because I think we all need this. This is a public service announcement. For all of you, everyone, everywhere. Are you having a bad day? You are not. You are a bad bitch. Continue. Is your depression hitting hard? I know. Continue. You can keep going. You can do this. Continue. You can do it. You are a fighter. You are strong. You are smart. And you are wonderfully made. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Keep going. Keep going. You can do it. Continue. God, that just makes me feel warm inside. It just makes it that ticks every single box I needed to hear. 
it's the self-affirmations we need to be giving ourselves like every day like you're a fighter you're strong you're smart you're wonderfully made you have to back yourself and say that to yourself every day because no one else is gonna i know and, and and that's what i have been thinking so i've been watching it a lot and i was like no i need to be able to say this for myself to myself being able to get past that point of being like a bit embarrassed to do like positive out loud self-talk once you break that you're like i'm unstoppable they've been trying to stop <laughs> me from doing this and they can't anymore no now i sound really loopy but i mean i don't care i know it's gorgeous we'll put her um tiktok instagram handles in our show notes but anyway should we go on to today's guest very excitingly we had the reigning queen of podcasts herself deborah francis white um a just you know author activist everything queen she very kindly came on and talked to us about her journey i'm still a little stunned i am like a hardcore fan like I was, a, I was a fan in 2015 you know before it was like cool you know like just loved it I have been to the live shows I've got a book um it was yeah very surreal to to speak to her um on zoom yeah in in the kind of most modern way we could be meeting her but she was even though it was you know separated via computer it was she was so open and honest about navigating um I mean, I guess feminist guilt, rather fittingly, mm-hmm. feminist guilt around your journey, your ongoing journey with your body and, you know, having days that aren't necessarily the best days and that's okay. She also tells yeah. us about how she's been dancing her way through lockdown, which is just the most joyful thing, um, which I loved and told us a bit about the kind of very rigid or some of the rigid beauty ideals in Australia, like the Bondi body. I absolutely loved it. I think or our listeners are going to to I think it really gets at really what positive body image is a lot of the time in terms of thinking about the gratitude and appreciation and feeling connected and in your body and and you can still have bad days you know that's like that's the reality of like because of the world we live in so yeah you're gonna love this episode enjoy how have you been I mean 2020s in Algeria isn't it I mean I'm Given it's 2020, I'm doing very well, I think. I took up dancing in the first week of lockdown and have had a private dance lesson every single day virtually, except Sunday, to in order to sort of make it more like a dirty dancing montage, the whole thing. I love that. No, and it does make it go faster if you're doing, if you're dedicated activities. Yeah, I just thought, well, I'll make meaning from this time and I'll learn to dance. I need to manage expectations. But I have been dancing sort of virtually every day for six months now. So I can now do choreography and things like that. I love it. I really love it. And I'm seeing so much improvement in what what I'm physically capable of. It's it's been a really exciting thing to do. Again, I must manage expectations. I couldn't do choreography at all at the top. And now it's kind of not a big deal or, you know, whatever. But I just feel like when I say this, it could sound like I was planning a concert at the Royal Abbott Hall for next year. And I, I need to be clear and say I have... I have done something specifically that I would never have normally done because I thought it was just going to be really fun. Um, and now I I have to tell you guys that um, my body rolls are fucking adequate. Are they very sexy now? Do very, you feel very sexy I mean, now? adequately sexy now. I mean, I would say on a scale of not at all sexy to very sexy, my body rolls are mediocre and I'm very proud of that. I think there is also something to... Creating a routine for yourself, especially in a time where it's just completely structureless and chaotic. Deborah, have you found dancing has improved your relationship with your body? Like, do you think it makes you kind of 
enjoy and celebrate your body so much. Uh, Yoga does a similar thing in a very different way. But for me, it's like going on a date with my body because you can really, you, you are in a relationship with your body, whether you like it or not. For most women and people of minority genders and some cis men too, uh, that relationship is abusive because of societal pressures, patriarchal pressures, cosmetic beauty standards inflicted upon us violently in, from every single direction, the messaging we got when we were growing up. And I think for a long time, I was in a relationship with my body where I just gave it the silent treatment. Your body can't break up with you. Your body can't go, do you know what? I can't handle this anymore. I'm leaving. Your body is stuck with you. And I think for a long time, I just didn't look at my body. I didn't acknowledge my body. There's been periods of my life where I would avoid catching sight of myself in a shop window. If I saw myself, I'd, I'd kind of look away. And I would do the sort of minimum mirror management that I could do. Lying to myself in the mirror. Um, I would take photos from certain angles or I would avoid photos. And I think I I just pretended it wasn't there because it was too difficult to look at it and acknowledge the feelings I was having about it. Or, you know, there was a constant pressure to change my body. And if I wasn't looking at it, I didn't need to change it. When I started to feel differently about my body and start to see the value and and the joy in my body and what an incredible life partner my body has been to me, how it, how every single day it's, it's got me out of bed and into the world and every single career achievement I've had, every single moment of creative joy I've had, every party I've been to, every time I've lost myself, every time I've gone swimming and felt, you know, myself lifted by the ocean, my body's been there. It's, it's taken me to all those events. It, it's been supported me when I've been down. It's it's elevated me when I've been up. It's taken me on to, to all sorts of wonderful places and, and relationships with people. And for me to just be looking away from it and pretending it isn't there because it doesn't look a certain way or I feel uncomfortable in it sometimes suddenly seemed to be a, or gradually seemed to be a great grief and sadness in my life that I couldn't acknowledge this wonderful relationship that I that it could be. When I started doing yoga, I started to feel myself in my body and start to enjoy what my body could do. And I, st- and I started to realize it's like taking it on a date. And if I took too long away from yoga because I was busy or, you know, tired and forgot briefly that yoga was would make me feel less tired, I'd suddenly think, God, I've been ignoring my body. I've been avoiding it again. I need to take it on a date. And so it's like being in a long-term relationship um, with a partner and you know sometimes you just get very busy and they're there and you're there and you're coming in and out and uh, I don't know if you've ever lived with a partner you're both super young so you may not have lived with a partner I live with my best friend which I think is we've lived together for five years so she's a partner of sorts for sure a partner in my life and uh yeah no I think it's easy to in in the same way with any relationship or even your family you know your mum or something like yeah. that it's so easy to just sort of take for granted the people who are there and stop talking to them. Oh, I'm too busy for them now. Or they're just there. They're just there. And I think it's really easy to do that with your body and you need to take it on date night. And that date night for you and your body could be 
going for a walk in the park and letting it feel stuff, just becoming aware of it present. Like, you know, how does it feel? Does it feel cold? Does it feel, is it, does it start to rain? Does the, do you like the rain on your skin? Which parts of your body are that, are any of them needing a stretch or any of them in pain? Can you give your shoulders a rub on your date night with your body? Which parts of your body have you not said you're grateful for because you don't want to look at them because you think they don't somehow match a L'Oreal commercial you've seen on a bus stop. If you've seen someone with a very, very flat or even concave stomach on a bus stop, you might avoid this part of your, you know, your life partner because you're somehow comparing them to somebody else's life partner. And that person's life partner isn't there for you. And you don't know what kind of relationship they've got. They might have a very punishing relationship with their body, or they might have a very undernourishing relationship with their body. They might have a great relationship with their body, but it's it's not yours. So I think we all need to do date night with our body. It just give your, if you don't like your tummy or something, just rub it and kind of go, do you know what? I think you're pretty great. You've, yes. you've got me everywhere I've needed to go. You've, you've, remember that time we swam in the sea together, you know, and just give it some love. Yeah, I, I really love that. And I love the idea of thinking the analogy of body image as being our relationship to our body, because I think it really gets to the complexity of what body image is. Because I think sometimes body image gets caught up with what you actually look like. And your body image can be positive or negative, whether you're small or big or anything in between. Like it's it's really an internal relationship with yourself. And I think so I think that's really helpful. And all of those things, Deborah, that you've been talking about from the embodiment piece to the connection with your body through yoga and through dance and actually feeling in your body as opposed to being someone who's looking at your body from the outside in. Um, and looking at your body and making the kind of external judgments. Well, I think that's sort of why I I forced my teacher, mm-hmm. my poor and long-suffering but brilliant, brilliant teacher, Melissa Bravo, who's an incredible dancer herself. Um, she loves teaching beginners as much as she loves uh, teaching professional dancers because actually with beginners you can see this huge improvement. With a professional dancer, you're taking them from maybe here to here, fine-tuning them, and but with a beginner you can take them really far there's something really beautiful about watching someone I imagine it's similar for someone starting yoga or dance or anything that kind of challenges someone to use their body in a way that they maybe hadn't been before it's almost you get to watch as a teacher I would imagine not that I will experience this but you get to watch someone fall in love with themselves Mm. or fall in love with the things that they weren't sure they could do before and I think that's such a special gift it's a gift to give someone else and a gift to receive for yourself and I think yeah I think it's an incredible thing that you've done I can also watch myself on video now which I always hated that's so nice firstly I'm always surprised that I look better than I think I'm going to when I'm dancing and I like the way I move now a lot more than I I used to because there's a there's an intention to the way I move now and an awareness in my body and in myself and and also I can see corrections I can make. And I'm focusing on those things, both being pleasantly surprised and also, ah, oh, next time I'm going to do it like that. And I remarkably am not just going, can't possibly look at myself on video. Like, oh, I'm not looking at what I used to perceive as flaws in my body in the same way anymore. To the extent that when our mutual friend, in fact, our friend who introduced us, Scarlett Curtis, Uh, had a birthday, a significant quarter century birthday. My present was that I sent her a video of me doing a dance routine because I was like, this is the ultimate in feminist trust. 
<laughs> I am going to send you. No one else has seen this. No one else has seen this. I That's hadn't an shown anybody thing. else. And some of my friends have been like, show us what you're doing in dancing. I'm like, no, go away. Um, but I, so I sent her a dance routine that at the end said, happy birthday, Scarlett. And she was, she was, she seemed genuinely delighted in this massive piece of trust because I knew that she wouldn't post it. <laughs> and it was a couple of months ago now. So now I'd probably look at that video and go, oh, look at all the things I'm doing. But the point was that I was able to send a video of myself. I think like in leggings and a sports bra as well, gang. I don't know if anyone can really understand the achievement. This is the real achievement, is that I was happy to send a video of myself in leggings and a sports bra to a friend. And it didn't fill me with dread and horror. It wasn't embarrassing. It was just like joyful and fun. And and I wasn't, I wasn't doing this sort of body comparison in the same way well I think there's something about getting to see your body in motion and seeing all of the angles that maybe we've feared you know I think when you're not used to watching yourself move I think there is this kind of mental image of your unruly body of the angles that you're not used to seeing and like there's a vulnerability to that and when you start practicing anything like dance or yoga or anything that kind of physically engages you suddenly you're like what was I frightened of again? You know, what What was the thing that was holding me back? Because you get to see, like, the worst thing that could happen is my arm's going to jiggle in that way. And that's mm. fine. Like, she's strong. She's strong and she's powerful and she's moving. And, like, there's something so liberating about that. I think that... Also, it's just fun to move to music, isn't it? But it just... It's given me an intention to my movement and a sort of upness. And I think just uh, just a confidence in myself that my body is a fun buoyant also I do want to put this into an umbrella that encompasses disability as well because there are some people listening to this who's going to go who's going to go great but that's lovely for you but you know I'm not able to do that because I have fibromyalgia that uh you know I don't know if I'm going to be able to get out of bed in the morning or you know I'm limited in other ways but one of my dance teachers she does a sort of not televised but it's like Strictly Come Dancing or Dancing with the Stars uh with disabled people and she said because they've all got a different disability a blind person doing a sort of Strictly Come Dancing style dance is different from someone in a wheelchair so she has to work with everybody and no matter what their situation is so I think you can take your body on date night even if you are in complete traction and you can't move at all by focusing on the breath or by focusing on you know like whatever you for you can check in on or whatever you can move or just putting the music on and feeling the music connect to your heartbeat, whatever it is, you can check in with your body. So I was wondering, Deborah, as you were speaking and you were talking about sending that video to Scarlett, this is a huge deal that you got to that point of being able to send that video. So I'm curious to um, maybe what your relationship with your body has been like and maybe what might have been holding you back from being able to do that in the past. Well, I was raised on the Gold Coast in Queensland in Australia. And the bodies that are celebrated there, or certainly when I was growing up, are small, um, are Caucasian but tanned. I mean, when I was growing up, it was an extremely Caucasian place. Um, that has changed now somewhat, but not very much. Blonde, blonde is a big thing. But for women petite, and I, I am five foot nine and a half. I'm 177 centimetres tall, quite a tall woman. And... I'm broad, so my skeleton is probably like a size 12. A size 8 jacket is never going to fit 
over my skeleton. And the girls that were celebrated then, and I do mean girls because we were girls, the teenage girls that were celebrated were petite and blonde and lit. they were little people. Um, and there was a culture of men being surfers going off to surf and having sort of like that sandy, windswept, uh, saltwater hair and being quite muscly because they were surfing. And the girls sitting on the beach and minding the weddies, which meant you, the girls would sit and mind the wetsuits if they didn't want to wear a wetsuit, if they wanted to go out in their board shorts, you bring your wetsuit in case it gets cold or whatever. Uh, so you could, you would mind stuff, like the girls would be asked to mind things because girls didn't surf. And that's very different now. And how did you feel, like, did you watch that and feel like, I have no place in this, I don't feel good about oh, this? Oh, completely, completely, completely. And also, I, like, I wanted to live in the city. It was very, it was like home and away, but with added God. I wanted to go to the city all the time and I wanted to go to the theatre all the time and and my parents did take me to the city to the theatre like a couple of times a year but you couldn't go the whole time it was you know it was far away and expensive it was a few hours drive away and it was expensive and so culture where we were was always in very few clothes like you know everyone was down the beach every weekend in bikinis and you know, certainly when I got hips and a bum and, you know, that was just sort of my natural body shape. I just wasn't the desirable look. And I went, I was in Sydney for one year and then I came to London and I was much more attractive in London because it's all fashion. We, we're seduced as to what's beauty is. We all, it's all fashion. It's all fashion. But in the 90s, when I went to uni, 97 to 2000, I was at uni. It was all Kate Moss. It was skinny 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 was what was prized and I am just never going to be skinny 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 I've got hips and an ass and you know tits and I'm five foot nine and blah 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 and that was sort of that was kind of the only thing there was and that's when you can get this sort of oscillating relationship with your body where you're almost punishing it with food and sedentary behaviors because if it won't be that no matter what you do I might as well hate it and I might as well treat it very poorly. I think now it's such an amazing time. God, I wish I was a young woman now because I, I, I you know, that age at university now, because the amount of story now around body acceptance, fat acceptance, different sorts of beauty, different varieties of beauty that we can curate ourselves on our feeds. It's so different now. And I'm very, very hopeful that girls now, like little girls may grow up loving themselves and loving their bodies even it's possible completely and I think what your experience really shows is the detrimental impact of those very homogenous ideals that were served it's interesting you're talking about the kind of very localized ideal maybe to being on the gold coast and with people wearing little clothes and being white and blonde and tanned and having that very petite aesthetic and it being slightly different to when you're in London but um, just having that ideal put on a pedestal so much and then it just being like well of course I can't look like that because my frame is completely different or I'm a different ethnicity or my skin burns or freckles my skin I'm I'm a white woman and my skin freckles or burns but it doesn't it doesn't uh tan unless I spray it which I do sometimes gang uh but uh freckles are cool now but they were not cool we're not cool then freckles are lovely now yeah well I mean freckles have always been lovely but they're having a bit of a I think people are really celebrating them now which makes me very happy drawing on freckles they're so cool now I must admit I bought a freckle pen I bought a freckle pen to enhance my freckles and add more because I'm quite I've got a couple of like little little speckles but I don't properly freckle and I've been like I quite like it I'm gonna add a few more and it's happening 
Freckles are popular. Wow. Freckles are in. Wow, freckles are in. I'm just so, I'm so, it's all fashion. You go and I look know. in, go and, I mean, if you Google imagery of women in art, you know, if you look at who's been prized over the years, and there's lots of examples of naked women in art um, because the male gaze. But uh, if you watch Hannah Gadsby's new show, Douglas, she's an art historian and she talks about this. But because of that, there's a lot of imagery of naked women in art. So we can see all the different body types and ideals and beauty standards. And there are women in art galleries who were painted as the most beautiful woman of their day, who now they would be the before picture on the Instagram Slimming Tea. Even as recently as the 50s, I remember seeing an advertisement saying, you know, are you skinny? Are you thin? If you haven't put on weight in the right places, um, you can send off for this tea that's going to fill you out. Because, of course, in the 50s, you know, if you didn't have hips and an ass and tits and, you know, you were seen as the sort of, oh, I remember reading a book. It was one of those retro books and the woman who was giving advice for young girls trying to find a husband or young women trying to find a husband was saying, like, if you haven't filled out, if you don't have hips and a bum and, you know, breasts that are sort of, you know, uh, fulsome enough, you have to work on your personality. If you're slim, you have to work on your personality because it was just, you were just not seen as desirable. Well, I mean, but then that's as problematic in its own way, but you have to remember different girls were standing against the wall feeling miserable in the 50s and different girls were standing against the wall feeling miserable in the 1800s and the 1700s. It's fashion. Well, yeah. Again, I think what it takes us back to is the fact that women have basically been pit against each other with these kind of unattainable beauty standards and being like, you're not her, you should be her. And then when you become her, they go, well, that's not trendy anymore. Mm. We don't want you to be her. We want you to be her now. And I, th- I mean, God, like I was reading, I've been reading uh, Fearing Black Body, uh, Sabrina Strings, and it starts off with one of those advertisements of being like, you know, it talks about thinness as an epidemic. And it's like, you know, this this problem of thin women's gotten out of hand and, like, we've got to help people fill out. And you're like, it just shows you mm-hmm. that these body ideals are all trends and they are all decided by some man in an office who's trying to make you feel like shit about yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're, they're, so they're mm-hmm. transient and then also they are... So it's interesting, again, going back to this idea of being tanned. So for, for white people, if we look at the kind of ideal of then having, like, the tan skin and then, then you go to places in Asia, in the Middle East, in African countries and then this desire for lighter coloured skin and so on Mm. on one hand you've got people and you're being sold whiteness or lighter skin and then on the other hand at the same at the same point in time but in a different part of the globe you're being sold this other idea in terms of your what colour your skin should be what shade Mm. your skin colour should be so I think it's I mean even now mm -hmm. as I said I've had spray tans you know to go if I'm going to an event or something I'm wearing a backless dress I'll have a spray tan and, you know, at the same time, people are being sold bleaching exactly. cream. Exactly. It's all so ridiculous. And obviously, bleaching cream and a spray tan is not the same thing because you're bleach, you're literally bleaching your skin. And, and also, you're trying to make it look like a, like a white ideal, which is about both racism and capitalism. So it, it, I'm not comparing the two, but I am saying it is slightly ironic um, that white women are sta- stood spread-eagled in little canvas tents while somebody else spray-paints them. Um, and you know, the indignity of a spray tan cannot be, cannot be overstated. Um, and it's the paper thong, the paper thong gets me every time. I know. It's just sort of having to lift your butt cheeks up or 
Um, it, you know, it's, it's always like a, it's kind of adjustment, lift the tit up. It's just not <laughs> worth it. It's not worth it on any. It's <laughs> ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And it's, but I think sometimes I think, oh, I look healthier because I've got this sort of bronze glow when I've got mm. a spray tan. Or people say, oh, you look so good or you look so golden, you know, sort of glowing, healthy, whatever. So I sort of sometimes do do it. Um, but the whole thing is so absurd when you think about the the things that we go through. One of my formative memories is when I was seven and I went to a new school and I didn't have any friends yet just because all the cliques had formed the year before. And there was an inter-school dancing competition. They were going to choose five girls. And I was going to, so my dancing career, it all comes back to dancing. Uh, my dancing <laughs> career was uh, uh, extensive then because I, I did used to go to ballet and jazz ballet and stuff after school. Uh, as many of the girls in my class did. And uh, so I wanted to audition for this because I thought, well, I'm going to have, it's going to be so cool. I'll get friends. And um, I remember the day that they decided to choose the girls, Miss Power, who could have been named by Dickens, um, <laughs> said, uh, right, all the blonde girls stand up. And so we can choose for the inner school dancing competition. And so all the blonde girls stood up. There were only white girls in the class or it would have been extremely racist um and then she said right go and stand over by the wall all the blonde girls had to go and stand at a line up and then she went down the row going you 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 and janine henny now janine henny um had brown hair but she was an awesome dancer and she had trophies and pennants to prove it and it was at that point that I realised that if you were brunette, you needed a talent. Hair colour was not going to see you through. Um, so I was like, right, I've got to develop a skill because I'm brunette. And that messaging goes in. Of course, when you're seven, you're like, well, what have yeah. we learned today? Blonde is better. I, I, I remember just thinking, how old will I have to be before I can dye my hair? What's the minimum age that I could dye my hair blonde? And I wanted blonde hair so much. But then I was talking about this the other day and thinking about how the blondes must have felt who were not pointed at because you're blonde, but then your prettiness is being rated. Like my prettiness wasn't rated. It didn't come into it. I wasn't pretty because I was not blonde. Um, but I wasn't in a lineup with all the other brunettes judged by a teacher who should have known better. I have no idea how old Miss Power was, but I can tell you one thing about Miss Power. She had brown hair. Of course she did. It was wow. internalised internalized self-loathing brunette phobia yeah, that's really yeah, bad yeah she was just you know self-loathing um so sad. yeah she picked the girl she thought were prettiest too but blonde blonde's your initial you know brunettes are culled before we've even begun because Jesus. brunettes aren't pretty and it's just stuff like that that girls remember and here the funny thing was i had that in a storytelling stand-up show once that story and i told it and everyone was laughing and then there was one uh person in the audience who was just looked really horrified and it was a little fringe theater because it was an edinburgh preview in london and i looked closer and i was like oh my god is that you and uh it was um it was one of the girls who got chosen for the inter-school dancing competition no way and yeah and i hadn't seen her in years i knew she lived in london i hadn't seen her for years she'd just seen my show advertised on facebook and just decided to turn up and just had not messaged decided to surprise me and she, her face, she was horrified and, and it was obviously very funny in the audience where I was like, well, she was chosen. I wasn't. And afterwards, we went for a drink. And I said, do you remember her saying all the blonde girls stand up? She said, you know what? No, I don't. And her husband said, of course you don't. Because you don't remember the doors that are opened for you. 
you only see the doors that are shut. Now then you're like, right, well, I'm in this group now and now am I going to be chosen? But of course, she might remember the time on the bus when the other girls teased her and said she wasn't as good a dancer or she might remember, she'll remember another story. And of course, I don't remember all the doors I was allowed in because I was white. I remember the ones I was kept out of because I was female or not not blonde or whatever. You know, you won't, you, it's very easy to remember the places you were excluded from, but not remember that you ran through the door and ran up five flights of stairs when someone else couldn't get in because it was they were in a wheelchair. Yeah. You don't remember that. Yeah, completely. And I think it also illustrates how we were like talking about media ideals and what's on billboards and what we see in advertising things, but then how ideals are perpetuated and upheld by us, by your teacher, by how we talk, how we relate to each other and how we kind of uphold some of these appearance-based pressures that we hold on to and internalise and then have to do a lot of work to try and unpack them as we grow older. On your fantastic podcast, The Guilty Feminist, you have a fantastic I'm a feminist but segment where, would you like to describe the segment? Uh, the show is about our noble goals as feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine those goals. And I think no matter who you are, there's times when your values and your actions do not meet. Here's one, for example, that plays into this this podcast. I'm a feminist, but one time I was getting on a light aircraft from Cape Cod to Boston and the pilot asked me in front of everyone my weight so he could determine how much fuel to put in the plane so we would land safely. And I lied by 20 pounds, endangering my <laughs> life, that of the other passengers, the pilot, and a border collie that was along for the ride. Um, and halfway across, this is true, halfway across, you know when light aircrafts, like it's only six passengers or something, start to get yeah. rocky. And I whispered to my best gay friend, David, I was like, David, David, I've lied about my weight. And he went, don't worry, darling, they add on 10 pounds for women and gay men. <laughs> I had lied by 20, but we still, spoiler alert, I'm alive. We landed. Um, you made it. I made it. And, you know, Susan McComber and I jumped out of a plane as a sort of challenge for the guilty feminist. Uh, but I, my am a feminist, but for that was, I'm a feminist, but I was more scared of not fitting into the jumpsuit because they just say, there's a rack of jumpsuits over there. Go and pick one out. And I was just like, what if I don't fit into any of the jumpsuits? It's just a terrifying moment. And I was more scared of like the jumpsuit not fitting mm -hmm. than I was of dying. That is wild. That is absolutely wild. But that's the internalized fear growing up that you will be judged for looking a certain way or judged for largeness. When people meet me, when people meet me, they sometimes, and they've listened to the podcast very closely, um, but they've not met me before. They sometimes say, "Oh, you're not, you're not, you're not big. Like you're not. You you make out on the podcast like I was expecting you to be really very tall and very broad, and you're just sort of, and I'm just sort of like five nine and a size fourteen, and they're like shocked by that because the way I describe mm -hmm. myself, uh, I just think nearly all women I know have in some way or another got a great, uh, got a very different 
perception of themselves than from how the world sees them. I love your honesty about the way you talk about this. And I think it's so refreshing to hear. I think there's people struggle with the dichotomy of like, it's okay to still find this hard and it's still okay to have an ongoing relationship with your body and you should have an ongoing relationship with your body. And figuring that out is difficult. But I do find it interesting that with a lot of the I'm a feminist buts, they are so many of them body related. Uh, Have you noticed a pattern? And do you... Do you have a reason why you think that is? I think it's, um, I think cosmetic things can be funny. Um, So Mm. they're Mm one-liners. They're at the top of the show. It's like a cold open. So, you know, I had one recently that I'm a feminist, but I was secretly delighted to find out that Zoom had a setting that made you look better, um, (laughs) inverted commas, Mm -hmm. that highlighted your appearance or sort of made you, smoothed you out, whatever. And then I was horrified to discover I already had it on. Um, I didn't know like so like that's it's fun it's relatable it's easy and I think some of the I probably more psychological ones that are a bit might wouldn't be funny in the same way and I think I think cosmetic things we kind of all relate to it's it's really easy as a feminist to it's to sort of parody yourself in terms of your vanity so I think that's Mm -hmm. why um don't worry, I have lots of insecurities and hypocrisies that are nothing to do with my body or my physicality or my vanity. But I think, yeah, they they do come up a lot because they're relatable and light and fun and entertaining. Also, it what what do you know really why I think we do need to sort this out? We just do need to sort it out uh, in ourselves as individuals as much as possible, but for future generations in a more blanket way. Is you sort of think, well, what does that really matter? What does it matter? But I think it really does matter because I talk about this in my book, The Girls Feminist, that if we're going up for, say, to get some funding for our research project or our independent film or, you know, the story we want to tell, the the the, the thing we feel strongly about, and we are always slightly wishing the furniture, our body is the furniture of us, was somehow a bit different and in an in an emotional moment before going up for an interview or a an audition or something where we really want to make a good impression, that is when emotionally we are likely to spiral and think about you know, hate ourselves really. I have so many times before something important to me gone through almost everything in my wardrobe and put it on and been like, I hate myself, you know, like I hate I just why do I, you know. I look terrible and everything. And I've got really emotional because this, this matters to me. This, this thing that I'm going up for matters to me. And so the trigger point for a woman is you don't look right. You're not good enough. Your, 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 your hips are no good. They're too big or your, you know, breasts are too small or your, you know, whatever it is, whatever that we've been trained to think is not good enough about us. And men being held back by your appearance. Yeah, that somehow you, fundamentally you, your DNA, you, this 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 thing that holds your beating heart and all your thoughts and all your imagination, is somehow wanting, or ugly, or uh, horrible, Um, and uh, you know, often with women that's weight related because we are so schooled about that. And now I don't think that men never have body issues of course they do and if a man's going on a date he might be looking in the mirror at his hair and going oh my god my hair's thinning or 
oh, I've got a beer belly. He absolutely might. That's it's not to dis- in any way diminish men's body issues. However, I think if a man is going in for a promotion or a funding application for his charity or his, you know, PhD or his whatever it is, I think a man has been trained by society in those instances to either think his cosmetic appearance beyond, you know, putting on a clean shirt and putting a comb through his hair is irrelevant. Or that this body is a perfectly good example of the genre. It's a fine, it's a fine body. What's wrong with this? And I've seen, yeah, middle-aged men who do not look anything like billboards in terms of their height, their weight, their their hair, their, you know, or, or lack of it or whatever. It looks nothing like a film star. They don't look anything like that. And that it doesn't hold them back in boardrooms or to making an insurance claim or picking their kids up at the school gate at all, at all. They don't think about it in those contexts. They just look in the mirror and go, yeah, I'm pretty fine. Like they just, or this is irrelevant. This isn't, this isn't what I'm being graded on. You know, this isn't how people are judging me. And they're right. They're right because we don't look at every man and hold up George Clooney or Idris Elba and go, how closely do you look to that? We don't. When men are cosmetically beautiful, it's a sort of plus. Yeah, that's very true. But this is what I notice. When women are anything except cosmetically beautiful, it's a minus. There were so many articles online and they were doing the rounds a few years ago so consistently. I wrote about them in the in the Guilty Feminist book. They still pop up all the time, but they were really, it was rife. If a woman is funny, a recent study has shown that she'll be less sexually attractive to a man. And that will be reported in broadsheets as this study that was done at this university has demonstrated it. And it will be presented as some kind of scientific fact. And then it will be, it will be like in psychology today. It will be presented, it will be in, you know, trashy magazine, you know, men's magazines and stuff like that. Um, And so the language will be different, but that same theme is there. And you can find them that if you earn more than your partner or you get a bonus, you're emasculating him. Uh, If you are brighter than a man, you'll be less sexy. You'll be less attractive. People won't like you. And I have never, and I searched for them. There are no articles that say that if men are clever, funny and wealthy, they'll be less desirable. None, none. Google it. All the ones that will come up will be about women. So we lose brownie points because, oh, and it's, and it's not not true either that I know so many women, oh, you're intimidating. Oh, but you earn so much more. How's he ever going to be able to feel like he can keep up? So if we are anything except pretty, we are in danger of intimidating everyone and putting everyone off, you know. But we all know it's true if a woman is, you know, stunningly beautiful as, as sort of network television stunningly beautiful, which is obviously a subjective, ludicrous standard. But mm. if she's stunningly beautiful, she's got a PhD, um, she's a self, self-made self and has, you know, paid off her own home and is funny and brilliant. It is true. 
It is true that she'll find it hard to date. It is true. I, I've, I know women like that. I don't know if you saw the post, but this actually shook me to my core. But it, someone posted about Bridget Jones being like, we were all told to, be, you know, led to believe that Bridget Jones was this tragic figure. But it's like, she's a size 10. She walked straight into a TV job and she's fancied by both Colin Firth and... And um, Hugh Grant, yeah. Hugh, and Hugh Grant. And it's like, that in the early 2000s is what we were told as a tragic woman. Like... God, this woman with a booming television career and, you know, God, it's such a shame that she's a natural size 10. Poor thing. Yep. Like, Poor it just, thing. it's, it's, it's chaos. It's actual chaos. What would you say your body with your relationship is like now? And what were some things that helped you get to where you are now? Um, okay. Honestly, um, sometimes really pretty good given the era I was raised in this morning I chose just an apple music so it was a noughties pop mix and I was like god it's a really interesting listening to those lyrics because I think pop music is a great indicator of the sort of sexual politics of the time listen this is based on this playlist but I was there and I do remember it and it, it, it this, this does feel accurate to me according to men all women were gold diggers According to women, all women were sorry. So many songs from women about being sorry. And I'm sorry I've hurt you. Can I come back? And I love you and you're the greatest. And it's it was really frightening listening to it. I was like, wow. The, the, but how lovely now great. that all of the music is like, I'm not sorry and I do not want your money. Like, I feel like women have really taken back that now. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm absolutely 100% unapologetic for everything you're seeing. And also I make more money than you'll make in five minutes. Yeah, you know I mean? it's like, a very different landscape now. It's a very, very different landscape now. Mm. And so look, given the era I came up in, given the place and the time that I was raised and that, you know, the time I went to uni and, you know, when I went to uni, feminism was not discussed. 97, I remember trying to talk about feminism and it was like Ladette's culture. It was like, can you drink a man under the table? It, it just, there was, it wasn't really about you finding yourself or your, you know, promoting other people, especially other people more marginalized than you in a sisterhood. It really wasn't. So given all that, I think my relationship with my body is pretty good. And there are some times when I feel very powerful in my body. And I will tell you this, I have been many different weights. I have experienced different responses to those weights. But I've certainly been sizes bigger than I am now and felt really sexy, gone out on nights out, looking, just feeling like, you know, totally owning it and feeling and I have been slimmer than I've been now and I've been sort of fainty and insecure so I have learnt that size and self-validation and sexiness are not linked for me anyway they're not no, really linked agree. you think they are if you're in a bad place but if you're in a good place you can see very clearly that they are not and I think that now I understand that I need to nourish my body. I need to nurture my body. And for me, that means thinking about what I put in my body because it's precious. That doesn't mean denying myself at all, the opposite. But it means asking myself, 
what does my body want now? What does my body need now? And looking after it as if it is a precious partner to me. Does my body need to move now? And there are times when my body doesn't want to move because it's feeling lethargic because it hasn't moved for a while. And I know I need to take it out to move because it's it's tired because it's sedentary. So when I'm at my best now with my body, I nurture it, I nourish it, I love moving it. I always feel so fantastic after I've moved it in the right way. I've no interest in a personal trainer punishing my body or making me feel miserable or like no interest in overworking it. But dancing, doing personal training where I can feel my strength growing, my power is... This is the furniture. If you're not being kind to the furniture, I don't know how you can, or as kind as you can be under your personal circumstances. I don't know how you can find emotional happiness. I think you've got to, you've got to look after it a bit. And that for you could be putting hand cream on it. For you, it could be just like lying and giving yourself five minutes to breathe in and out and feel your lungs fill up. It doesn't have to be, you know, dancing every day. But taking it out for a walk, stretching it, thinking about it, massaging it, putting the tunes on and letting it move about a bit, you know, and just filling it up. I think it's important. I think it's important. When I'm at my worst, I can still want to judge it and underfeed it. I can still look at parts of it and go, will that part of it ever look the way I want to look at it? Or how I want it to look? Or will I die with my thighs not looking smooth and smaller than they are and tighter than they are. And that's that's when I'm at my worst. But I need to tell you that I sometimes am still at my worst. And I will probably be until I'm a very old lady. And when I'm an old lady, I'll look back on my body now and go, wow, weren't you fabulous? You know, and that is something else I try and do. If I'm sort of going, what's that line there? Or is that a gray hair or, you know, is, is my body look different now because I'm getting older and, you know, I close my eyes. I'm imagine I'm really old and I imagine being in the old body that doesn't want to move as much. That's tight. That's hurts. I can't need help getting out of a chair. I don't recognize my face in the same way because it's, it doesn't look like it's looked for most of its life. So I imagine my face looking different and old and how that's going to feel and, you know, the imagery I'll have around that and the internalized, you know, phobia I'll have of that and all of that because I've been raised in a patriarchy that values youth. And I open my eyes and I see myself as I am now and I go, oh, you look young and your body can do more than it's ever been able to do because you've been lifting it and, you know, putting your legs in the air and, you know... (laughs) stretching it a lovely time you can stretch if it hurts you can stretch it out or have a massage that stops hurting and there's going to come a point where that's not going to be true so to to instead of looking back on photos from 10 years ago and going oh my god you looked so young I project myself into the future and then I look at the photo of myself now and go fuck you're vital you're young you're standing on stage at the Royal Albert Hall you know taking up space and this is your space you've you know I've played in the last couple of years the Palladium the Royal Albert Hall the Sydney Opera House you, you this is your time it doesn't matter how successful you are how famous you are how wealthy you are you only have 365 chances to get up and have a go at being 21 or 36 or 58 or 72 if you even get that far no one can give you more 
And it's my time now. And I often think about, I think, my God, of all the people who've ever lived and all the people that are yet to live, it's my turn. I'm having a turn. And what a great turn it is, you know, like how incredible. Now is our chance to get out of bed, to make a connection, to make the world better for somebody who's got less opportunity than we've got. You have 365 chances Mm -hmm. to get out of bed and have a go at being the age you are now. Don't spend those days getting out of bed and looking back and going, oh, I wish I was in one of my other old 365 chances to be 18. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, oh, I wish my body was slightly smaller so I could affect more powerful change in the world. Really? (laughs) Really? How's that really going to help you? How does that help? How is that going to bring you or anybody else joy? It isn't. Get up. If you can, and if you can't get up, stay in bed, but connect to your breath and think about what you, what you can do to bring yourself joy and peace. What are the things that really bring you peace and joy? And it's very rarely posting photos of yourself at a flattering angle. It's very rarely. It, it, do a bit of that if it's a bit of fun. Or if, you know, honey, I love your account and your account's really helped me actually find beauty in myself. You find so much beauty in yourself and you pose in such beautiful ways. You rejoice in your body. You rejoice in having a body that's neither like Jennifer Aniston's nor Jennifer Lopez's, which was the options that I had when I was, you know, 20 something. You're having a turn. We're so lucky. We're so lucky to be having a turn. We get a proper go. And that's so exciting. Um, Yeah, we're in a a blip. We're in a blip of geography and time. A temporal geographical blip where Mm. women get to say or do anything and you know let's say and do some stuff that, yeah let's let's stir some shit up <laughs> deborah you're a genius and an angel i mean honestly it nearly cried three <laughs> times during that you're you're fantastic yeah just love that uh, that last answer so much and that the whole conversation i think it's just been really insightful interesting and real as well i think it's like it really shows the complexity of the the things that we want to talk about and share with other people so i, I think it's just been such a pleasure to speak to you so thank you so much thank you so much for having me thank you so much for joining us and um deborah where can we find you um if you go to my instagram it's at dfdubs dfdubz or at the guilty feminist you can follow both of us on Instagram. On Twitter, we are at guiltfempod or at Deborah F W. My website as well, just Google me, Francis with an E hyphen Y, Deborah Francis Y, um, or The Guilty Feminist. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Body Protest Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. It would mean the world to us if you could subscribe, rate and review. You can follow Honey on Instagram at honeykinney. And you can follow Nadia at nadia.craddock. This podcast is edited by the angels at Project Harness, Daisy and Rasheen. And brought to you by the Pink Protest Podcast Network.